And I was reading the scriptures, and part of my scripture plan that day was Psalm 27. And, and it, it, it's, it's grabbed a hold of me. And, and I studied it a little bit deeper. I got my commentaries out. And as I read through this thing and, and thought about it and prayed about it, things began to make better sense. As I took my eyes off of the circumstances of this life, like we talked about this morning, got them refocused on the Lord, my spirit was uplifted, and I was encouraged. And the Lord showed me that even if I didn't have everything figured out, even if I couldn't understand what was happening uh, and why it was happening, I still had hope. I still had the blessed assurance that God knew all about it, and that he had it all under control. You know, we all like to think we were somewhat in control of our lives, you know. And we like to plan out things in the course of our day in life, and, and it gives us comfort to know what's going to happen in the next few days, the next few hours. But, you know, that's really a, a false comfort. Uh, it's a false sense of control because we're never going to come to the place where we have it all figured out. Uh, we'll never have all our ducks in a row. We'll never have um, be able to relax because we think we have all our problems solved and everything is under control. You know, when, when General Eisenhower and, and uh, uh, the group that planned Operation Overlord, uh, D-Day, which we're going to celebrate here in a couple, I think it's tomorrow, uh, uh, he said, as soon as the first shot is fired, everything's out the window. The plan is out the window. And it just it just rolls on. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, we have no control. So if you think that, it's not going to happen. Uh, and even when we don't have it all together, though, uh, we know that God is in control. He's sovereign. He's got it all covered. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess you've been studying about the Holy Spirit here and the fruits of the Spirit. But, but over in Malakatla, our Sunday school lessons... Uh, Bible studies uh, have touched on the sovereignty of God and how he's in control of all his creation and all his circumstances. And that's a good thing because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need and he delivers these messages just at the right time. It amazes me how often uh, the message will uh, offer up just the help that I need at the moment, like, like it did with Psalm 27. Uh, we might not be in an adverse situation at that moment, but soon we may be. Uh, so we need to get it on board. Uh, when Josh was uh, was uh, was born, he was a preemie. You wouldn't think so now. And the doctor said he'd always be a runt. He did, remember? Uh, and so uh, Myron is in labor, and he says, we're going to give you some steroids because we're scared for his lungs. And we need to get this on board before it happens. And I always remember that phrase, you get it on board. And so uh, we need to get into the book and get it on board because if trouble isn't here today, it will be down the line someplace. So let's get it on board. Uh, uh, soon we're going to face a, a new and difficult circumstance, and then we have to put into practice what we learned. We need to remember our theology. It's good to know some theology. It's good to know what the scriptures say, but all that will not remove the uncertainty, the mystery from our life. We'll never be faced with the question. We'll, we'll still be faced with the question of why. Why does it happen? Uh, if you lived uh, any length of time, yeah, you know that this is true. Uh, and it's during these times that our faith is tested. And in those situations we may, we, that we, we put into practice, those lessons and truths that we have learned from the Word of God. Uh, we need to be doers of the work and not hearers only. Put it into practice. It's in times of sorrows, in times of uncertainty, in times of adversity, when all else has failed, when all those things, in times that, uh, we can only trust God and call out for his mercy. It's then that your, your faith is strengthened. It's during those times that we really understand firsthand that God is indeed sovereign, that he's in control, and he can be trusted.
times of adversity show us that God is indeed faithful, loving, and merciful. You know, uh, and I'm sure you know this, but uh, we often say it, God will not allow us to be tempted or tested above which we are able to bear. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but you know, there, there's a danger if the, if the trial goes on for, for, for a long, long time. Uh, there's, there's danger there. Uh, a devotional I re- recently read pointed out that there's a great temptation to despair uh, just before the end of the trial because you can't see it coming. Uh, you know it's going to end sometime, but it's dragging on and on and on, and you start to feel despair. We know that God has told us not to despair, not to lose heart, but what do we do when we're most overwhelmed with grief and suffering? What, we, what do we do when we're tempted to quit, uh, tempted to abandon our faith in God? And there is a temptation to do that, and I've seen people fall for that. Well, the answer to that, what have you done when you're physically weak and at the end of your physical endurance? What did you do when you couldn't do anything else, when you could not go on in your own strength? Well, you ceased from your own efforts, and you leaned on the shoulder and arms of the strong loved one. And I love how that, that hymn fell right into place. I did just no thought of that. But, but when, when I do these at home, I, I plan all the, all the songs myself, and I put it on there. And that was one of the hymns I sang with this lesson, um, leaning on the everlasting arms. That's what you have to do. Um, uh, you lean on, on the Lord, and you, and, and you lean on your friend. You completely uh, lean on someone else, and you rested trusting in the other strength. So the same truth applies to the spiritual side of life. When we come to the end of our rope, the end of our spiritual endurance, the end of our strength, we must lean on the everlasting arms of God and trust his strength. We have heard this many times, but you can't, it can't be said enough. God loves us, and he has a plan for our life. He knows exactly what we are experiencing, and he is nearby. He's always watching, always in control. God has a plan, his plan. And he will work that plan to its completion. God will empower us so that we will be able to walk with him day by day, step by step, until we reach his desired goal. Remember, we're to look to God, not at the circumstances. Because if we focus on the circumstances, the immediate situation around us, we're going to have our happiness, our joy stolen by the joy thieves. And the joy thieves, the happiness thieves, are the circumstances, the people, the things, and the worry take away our joy of living for the Lord. So remember, suffering plus Christ equals joy. Help us focus on Christ this morning and to help us maintain our joy, I'd like to share a few highlights that I learned uh, from Psalm 27 that that, uh, the morning I got kind of bummed out. Psalm 27 is a wonderful psalm, uh, a psalm of hope, a song of hope. And it's in a group of psalms, uh, 25 to 39, comprise a section of psalms that primarily record David's personal experiences, but which also look to the future when the godly remnant of Israel is in dire trouble, the end times, revelation times. Um, the primary emphasis is on David's experience, but the secondary and tertiary views are applicable to Israel in the future, uh, especially in the tribulation, and to believers today. So it's, it's, it's good for us. These, these psalms are personal, they're quiet, they're intimate. Uh, they're a comfort for believers today. These psalms are written by David, a man who ex- had experienced much trouble and grief and who had found that the Lord was with him during those terrible times. David, with God's help and his God's presence, had lived through the storms of life. And he knew for a certainty that God is faithful. 
David knew that the Lord is a place of refuge and strength, a safe haven for the storms of life. Psalm 27 naturally outlines itself into two major divisions. In verses 1 to 6, David praises God for the encouragement and the confidence that he gives to his own. David voices his sure confidence in God and his love of the sweet communion that they share. In verses 7 to 14, we have David's prayer for continued help and sustenance. So let's read through this thing. Uh, It's 14 verses, but uh, uh, we'll read it through, and then we'll look at it section by section. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, for that, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far away from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. For thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me. Forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say. On the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this Bible. Father, we thank you for the encouragement and the, and the strength and the courage that it gives us. Father, help us to settle in now. Let us open our hearts to receive your word. Let the Spirit take that word, build it into our lives, and encourage us this morning. As we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Like uh, Psalm 23, I don't know if you knew this, you probably did, but. Uh, Psalm 23 and Psalm 27 is a he and me psalm. Uh, Vernon McGee used to call it a he and me psalm. Uh, The Lord is my life. The Lord is my salvation. Psalm 23 and Psalm 27, there's a lot of uh, personal possessive pronouns. Um, And these people that are woke with the pronouns can take a look at that. Uh, I just thought of that. Um, uh, Don't change English. Um, Anyways, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Christ is that light. Christ paid for our salvation on the cross, and we belong to him. He owns us. David shows Christ as his, knows Christ as his Savior. David has come to the light. He has received forgiveness of sin and has been granted eternal life. David was accepted and received, had, had, had accepted and received the mercy and grace of God. And like Psalm 23 we need to go to Psalm 22, which is the Psalm of the Cross, before we can claim that Christ is our shepherd or our Savior. We have to come to the cross. While David speaks of his relationship with Christ, 
Verse 1 is also prophetic. Uh, it alludes to the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go back to your Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, time, uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, Jesus was born in, in the manger, uh, laid in the manger, and eight days later they brought him to the temple to be circumcised. And Simeon, being led by the Spirit of God, came to that place and seeing the child praised God with these words, Lord, now let us thy, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the fall in, in the face of all people, a light to light the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And the Apostle John also referred to Jesus as the light of the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. David said, the Lord is my light. Christ is that light. Man without Christ lives in the darkness of sin. Uh, unregenerate, unsaved man is blinded by sin. He, can, he cannot even see his need of a Savior. Christ first illuminates the, save, the sinner's darkened heart so that, so that we can see our sinful condition, so that we can realize our need for salvation. And then when we believe and come to Christ in faith, we can receive salvation, the life that he offers. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. And he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Paul wrote this, uh, the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3-6. to But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, the out of darkness has shined in our hearts, in your, yeah, our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost. To whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves, our servants of God, of Jesus' sake. For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That doesn't seem right, but it looks like it. Hmm. It didn't print out right. Anyways, there it is. After we're saved, that's why you should read these things ten times. And I did, and it still got me. Anyways, after we're saved, Christ guides us uh, with the light of his word. Uh, Spurgeon said, Salvation finds us in the dark, but it does not leave us there. It gives light to those who sit in the valley of the shadow of death. After conversion, our God is our joy, our comfort, guide, teacher, in every sense our light. He is the life within, the light around light reflected from us, and light to be revealed to us. We are the children of light, and we should walk in that light. The word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. 
John 12, Jesus Christ said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. First Thessalonians, Paul said, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. For ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. He wrote to the Ephesians and said, For ye are sometimes darkness. Now ye are the light in the, world, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We are the children of light. The Lord is my life, light, and he is, he is my salvation. Christ not only provides salvation, he is salvation. God's great love for fallen mankind provided a salvation for us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Dr. Vernon McGee points out that God didn't so love the world that he saved the world. He loved the world so much that he provided a salvation for sinners, if they would believe and receive his Son by faith. The Lord Jesus Christ is that salvation. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. And he told the Philippian, Paul told the Philippian jailer, and he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Since the Lord is my light and salvation, what do I have to fear? We've already learned that Christ has defeated Satan. He's conquered death. Christ has removed the fear of death. If Christ is, is with us and for us, who can be against us? No one can stand against the Lord. Martin Luther said, one with God is the majority. And Oliver Cromwell, that great uh, Puritan leader, said, I have learned that if you fear God, you have no one else to fear. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, the Lord is my salvation. I will trust and, and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Psalm 62 he only is my rock, the only psalm. Psalm 62, McGee calls this the only psalm. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I will not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my self-refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Selah means stop and think about this for a while. The Lord is my light, my salvation, and my strength. The Lord not only gives us life, he also empowers us to live that life for his glory while we reside on this earth. Christ will provide us, will provide for all our needs. His grace is sufficient to meet all our needs. Uh, Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And David wrote in Psalm 56, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And First Peter 5.10, but, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And he said again, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in, thy infirm, in my infirmities. For the power of Christ 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in the distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I just remember when we were teaching school and all this stuff used to happen. We used to say, we must be some, doing something right because we're having all this trouble. Remember that early? Yeah. He's there. Christ is our strength, and his grace is sufficient to meet all our needs, both now and in the future. God may allow us to go through a trial or a period of testing in order to strengthen our faith in him. He may not answer our prayers as quickly as we might desire. When when, when we must wait, our strength is actually strengthened and increased. This is a good time for us, and thus we become stronger. During times of testing, we must learn to trust him more and not succumb to worry, not succumb to fear. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? James. Uh, James 1, 2 to 4. My brother encountered all joy when he fell into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire unto nothing. I don't advise you to pray for patience because you'll, you'll get some, but it'll come in a hard way. But Jim, and Peter also said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, and he does. Tell him all about it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take there no, therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. God knows all about it, so don't worry about it. You know, uh, Arlene knows this one. Mary Herb, she used to be a worrier. She really did. Uh, they they served 30, 30 years in Pakistan, and she was worried about what's going to happen, you know, in the future. And we're going to get into this a little bit tonight, but but I, t- I told her one time, I was going, Mary, didn't God take care of you in Pakistan? Yeah. Is he taking care of you now? Yeah. But he'll take care of you tomorrow. So those are help. I hope it's helped you. She got a word. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff out of verse one. And now we go to verses two to three. In these verses, David remembers past blessings from the Lord and is encouraged to have faith that the Lord will continue to be with him. David recalled the times when he was in danger, when he faced with uh, he was faced with powerful and ruthless enemies. He remembered how the Lord had been with him throughout all those dangerous times. David faced danger as a shepherd boy when he was running from King Saul, when he battled the Philistines the other uh, nations around there. Later on in life, when he fled from his son Absalom, God had protected and provided for David in all those incidences and circumstances. As David reflected and remembered those times, his confidence was bolstered. So remembering past blessings is a good thing for us to do as well. We need to count our blessings. We need to remember the goodness of the Lord. We need to count our blessings and give God thanks. We need to rehearse those things from time to time in order to strengthen our confidence and faith in the Lord. And, and, and you know, we need to tell our kids this stuff because they haven't experienced it. So you need to send them down sometime, you know, just in con- casual conversation. You know, remember when God did this? You know? uh, set up some spiritual memorials, you know, a touchstone that you can come back to. Well, God did this for them. He'll do it to this for us now. We need, to, we need to remember. We need to remember that God is with us and he will never forsake us. If he has taken care of us in the past, he will certainly take care of us in the future. 
And again, verse 2 is also prophetic in the night when uh, uh, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? He's surrounded by his enemies. Uh, uh, and they came in there with the torches and you know all their weapons and going to arrest him. And they asked if he was the Christ. And uh, Jesus answered, I am. I, and, and they all fell backward on the ground. Just, why did he do it? Because he was the I am. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. And as, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. So that was prophetic of that. There's an additional thought here in verse 3. And you sense a little bit that David was anticipating trouble from the enemy. It's like the enemy had not actually surrounded and encamped against him because we know that didn't happen, uh, when, at least when he was fleeing, uh, fleeing from, from Saul and from Absalom. Uh, he was, they were around, but they hadn't surrounded him completely. But there was a good possibility that they might do so. And, and sometimes the anticipation or the expectation of trouble gives us greater pain and fear than the actual trial. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You thought something bad was going to happen, and then it didn't? So the anticipation was worse than what really happened? Yeah, it happens to me sometimes. Uh, uh, fear fear of, the, of what's going to happen. Uh, Churchill said it. FDR also stated, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and it's true. Indeed, sometimes we dwell so much on what might happen we cause those fears to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. We worry about too much, and it actually does happen because we worried about it. You know, um, Waldo Frank said, we all know individuals who make their lives the exact realization of what they are afraid of. We do. Uh, David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And so should we. We must remember that God is with us and for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We need to take our eyes off the circumstances, get them back onto Christ, the one who, who can change our circumstances. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He's in control. So we don't need to fear. We just need to trust, trust him. Remembering God's goodness and faithfulness to us in the past will give us courage to trust him more in the future. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 5, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So all these things that happen to us really are for our benefit. Verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord, one thing. David lived a multifaceted and complicated life. David, if you recall, was a shepherd. He was a soldier. He was a musician, a king, and a prophet, among other things. Uh, however, uh, David set some proper priorities, and he, he condensed his busy life down to one important point. Uh, David's primary focus was to enjoy close fellowship with the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Paul also con consolidated his active life and put his primary focus on serving the Lord. Uh, he told the Philippians in chapter 3, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One thing. What's your priority? 
life can become too complicated, even when you live in Craig or Coat or Malakala, rural Alaska, if you want to call it that. Or you might expect, you know, nothing much is going to happen. We live on a small, we, well, we live on a small island. Uh, I think it's 1,400 people. You don't expect much to happen, but it, it gets complicated. Uh, something's always happening. Uh, you know, and uh, so you need to, you need to kind of condense things. Uh, you know, but, but if you, could, you can get too busy, even in, in Alakala. And uh, if we do try to do too many things at one time, we're going to find out we're not going to have success in anything, whatever you're doing. We will become frustrated and stressed out from the pressure and unceasing tension. Uh, we need to follow David and Paul's example and simplify our life. We need to do one thing. We need to strive to stay in the center of God's will. That's the one thing we need to do. We need to follow the Spirit's leading and strive to please God instead of trying to please ourselves or please everyone else. Remember, Christ must have preeminence in our life. We must set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You can't serve two masters, so you have to make a choice. If you choose wisely, you're going to choose to serve the Lord. No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You must make a choice. You can serve God or you can serve yourself, you know. You have to choose. You can't straddle the fence. David chose the Lord. Specifically, he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord. David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, if you remember. He wanted to, it was, it was in somebody's house. Uh, and uh, he wanted to bring it up into Jerusalem, build it a proper place, uh, a house of God, uh, so he could have access to God. And that day, God had, a man had access to God only by going to the tabernacle and offering the proper sacrifices. But now that Christ has come, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way by which man may approach God. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Paul said in chapter 5, Romans 5, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of God. Jesus Christ, the only way. He is the way. Verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Here's another loaded verse. Uh, David knew the safety of, was of the Lord. In Christ, we are secure. Uh, there, there, you know, there may be turmoil all around us, but in Christ, we're going to find security and peace. Um, the, the, the pavilion it talks about was the army commander's tent, and it was pitched in the center of the of the, the bivouac, the center of the encampment. It was surrounded by the, the whole army, and therefore it was the most secure place on the battlefield. The tabernacle was the tent designed by God for Israel to use in worshiping him. The secret place of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, or, or the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant was kept in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could enter there and, and, the, and the Holy of Holies was considered to be the most secure place of the tabernacle. All this points to the security 
we find in Jesus Christ, who is our rock. David wanted to be close to the Ark of the Covenant because on the top of the, of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat where the blood of the atoning sacrifice was sprinkled in order to atone, atone for the sins of the people. David knew his weakness. He knew his limitations. David needed the, the Lord's mercy, and so do we. The mercy seat is also called the propitiation. Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. He is our propitiation. He's our atoning sacrifice. Christ died to take away our sin. He died to pay for or to atone for our sin. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. For if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ the righteous. For he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent his only begotten Son to die on a cross to be the sacrifice for sin, so that we might receive the mercy of God and be saved. Christ shed his blood and sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat in heaven. So Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is our sacrifice for sin. By his blood, our sins are removed. We are cleansed and receive the mercy of God. So in Christ, we're secure. Christ is our mercy seat, our place of refuge. He's our rock. He's our fortress. Today, Jesus Christ is the high priest, the great high priest, the one who lives forever to make intercession for us before the throne of God. Seeing then we have a great high priest that passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time need. Don't be afraid to take your burdens to the Lord. Some people, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. Yeah, you're not worthy, but take them anyways. Nobody's worthy. But God is merciful. So take your burdens. Don't be afraid. Come to Christ. Take your burdens to him. He'll, he'll present them. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, unto God by him, seeing ever liveth to make intercession for them. This is a great thing. Jesus Christ is praying for us today. And the Holy Spirit too. Can't beat that. Verse 6. Now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies, round about me. Therefore I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Although surrounded by enemies and suffering trouble and trials, we're safe and secure in Christ. Therefore, we can lift up our heads and sing praises to God. We don't need to go around with our heads to bow down. You know, hey, look at me, woe is me. I don't do that. Trust in the Lord. Trust Him. We can hold our heads high and rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Moving along here, 7 to 12. Here David's prayer of praise turns to supplication. David's plea is that the Lord will hear and answer his prayer. David seeks the Lord's mercy. He will come. He has come to the right place because God has plenty of mercy and he delights in showing it to repentant sinners. In the Garden of Eden, uh, remember that? The Adam and Eve in the fall. Uh, God sought out Adam and Eve after they fell into sin. Later, uh, Dave, uh, God sought out Cain and extended his mercy to him. But Cain refused that offer. Uh, God still is still seeking sinners, not to condemn them, but to extend mercy to them. God is still extending mercy through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God delights in having fellowship with his children. God invites us to come to him, to seek his face. David responded enthusiastically to that invitation. He sought the Lord's face. 
However, David discovered that when he sinned, that sweet fellowship with God was disrupted or broken. Sin will cause a barrier to come between God and man. God had hid his face from David. However, when David confessed his sin and repented, that fellowship was restored. And remember, you can't lose your, your salvation. Our relationship with God stays the same. It's constant. It's there forever. But our fellowship can be disrupted. It's, our fellowship can be broken. And that's what sin does. It puts up a barrier. So you need to get rid of that barrier. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So we need to get take, take care of that barrier there. We need to confess our sins daily, uh, sometimes hourly, so that our fellowship with God will not be disrupted or hindered. Remember, our relationship with God will never be severed, but our fellowship, our sweet communion, be broken by sin in our life. So therefore, forsake and confess that sin and receive forgiveness and cleansing so that you continue can continue to enjoy your time with the Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, verse 10 talks about uh, when my mother and father forsake me. That may relate to David's youth when his mother and father turned against him. Uh, we don't know for sure because nothing is, is really mentioned about it in the scriptures. Uh, we do know, know that sometimes our families turns against us when we take a stand for the Lord. It happened in our family. Um, and it happens, and when it does, it, it really hurts. Remember how Joseph's father and mother and brothers turned against him? Yeah, I had a dream, you know, get out of here. Uh, even Jesus' family at times misunderstood and, and disbelieved him. Uh, sometimes if you take a stand for the Lord, you will be misunderstood and you will be shunned. Did you ever walk into a room where people are laughing and, and carrying on? You walk in and all of a sudden got dead silent? Why did they do that? Because you're different. You're, you're a believer, and they're not, and they know it. Uh, and they shun that. They don't like it. They don't like to come to the light. But anyway, uh, it hurts. But take heart. When your family turns against you, the Lord will always be there to comfort and strengthen you. Like David, we live in the world, but we're not part of the world. We're not of the world. Therefore, the world is against us. That's just the way it is, so get used to it. And Jesus told us this many times. David asked God for guidance because the world and his enemies were observing him. They were watching him, hoping to see him slip. David wanted to have a good testimony so that the enemy would not have occasion to accuse him. The world is against us, and we have many enemies. Like David, we need to pray that the Lord will protect us from their attacks. The Lord will uphold us, and he will keep us from falling. The Lord will lead us on paths of righteousness. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He's got a plan for you, and he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raises up all that be bowed down. Winding down here, verses 13, 14. If you're living for the Lord, if you're working, serving the Lord, you're going to get tired. You're going to get weary. You may get weary in the work and from the work. We are not. We are not to get weary of the work. Like David, we are to encourage ourselves in the work. We are to keep our focus on, the, on Christ. We are to count our blessings. We need, we need to look for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And in so doing, we will be encouraged. Forget not his benefits. Remember the Lord's goodness. David was greatly distressed for the people's sake of stoning him. 
because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You need to encourage yourself. You need to get in the book, like I said this morning, learn the promises. And when bad stuff happens, you need to dig that out. Because if you don't get it on board, what's the Holy Spirit got to work with? He's only got what you put in there. So put it in there. And when it comes, you'll be surprised what the Holy Spirit brings up. It's amazing. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. We are to wait on the Lord. Spurgeon says to wait at his door with prayer. To wait at his foot with humility. To wait at his table with service. To wait at his window with expectancy. Waiting is an interesting word in the Hebrew. Wait means to rest in or to relax in. We need to rest or relax in the Lord and cease from our own struggle. We are to quit struggling and trying to do everything for ourselves. We are to cease from our own efforts and let God do his work in us. We are to wait for him to work. and We are to watch with expectancy for the great things that God will accomplish in and through us. We must rest in God and lean upon his everlasting arms. So in the midst of adversity and trouble, take courage. We're not to give in to despair and discouragement. Discouragement, you know, is one of Satan's favorite tools. So don't give in to it. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Encourage your heart in the Lord. Trust him because he's always in control. God is always working in your life, perfecting, conforming you to the image of his son. God desires your fellowship, and he delights in blessing you. Therefore, keep your eyes on Jesus and be encouraged and keep on keeping on. Keep on doing right. Don't faint in the day of adversity. Don't faint in the middle of the battle. Find your strength in the Lord. Cease from your own efforts and let God work, do a work in you. Don't lose heart. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is always with you. Psalm 27, I love it. It's a great psalm of encouragement. I read it uh, quite often. Uh, studying it through it really helped me and encouraged me as I, as I look at the ungodly wickedness and the evil that's in the world today. It seems like it's getting worse and worse, but, but God is in control. So I urge you to, to go home today or sometime this week and read through it again. Remember what we heard uh, and be encouraged. Remember the Lord is with us. He will never forsake us. So take heart. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Father, help us to uh, keep our eyes on you and not on the things of the world because the world is pretty depressing if we look at it too long. So Father, help us... Uh, not to be in denial, but to, to recognize where our strength is. Keep our eyes on you because you are our rock. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.